The Navigators is an international, interdenominational Christian organization whose objective is to help fulfill Christ's commission to make disciples of all nations. They individually teach the basics of the Christian life to new believers, who then teach others. They work on campuses, military bases, and among lay men and women on every continent. The book of James has been written to people who are under some kind of pressure. And so tonight, a portion from James 5, I think, should prepare us for the people and the circumstances to which we're returning. James 5, verses 7 through 12. This will be an incomplete message, and then I am not uh, either starting at the beginning of the chapter, and I'm not completing it. So just these verses. Shall we pause for prayer once more? Now, Lord, we pray that at the end of this week, when it seems that our minds are so full and our notebooks are so full, you might say something to us, though, that would be helpful, a little key, maybe a little something more that would be very effective and useful. So increase our capacity, Lord, and we do acknowledge the need of your Spirit to teach us. And we pray that this will not just be another little talk, but in which your Spirit uses your Word in our hearts. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. James 5, verses 7 through 12. Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient over it until it receives the early and the late rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble, brethren, against one another, that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the doors. As an example of suffering and patience, brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we call those happy who were steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, that you may not fall under condemnation. And I want to add the first verse of the next paragraph, as it's paragraph in my Bible. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is any cheerful? Let him sing praise. And so I simply want to bracket what I'd like to share tonight with the beginning words in verse 7, be patient. And then, verse 13, pray. Be patient, pray. Be patient, pray. Be patient with people. Be patient in your circumstances. Now this exhortation, verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. I'm told that the idea here is, this is not so much of enduring affliction, but this patience is more of a self-restraint that enables you to refrain from retaliation. 
from lashing out at people or circumstances. Because in verse 9 he says, Do not grumble, brethren, against one another. In verse, that's a lashing out, that's a retaliation against irritating people. And in verse 12, But above all, my brethren, do not swear. That is a retaliation against frustrating circumstances. Now, do not grumble. You know, uh, in Psalm 15 it says, Does no evil to his friend. Talks about who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord. And that's, that's a terrific psalm. You ought to make a little note to memorize that psalm sometime. And it says, Does no evil to his friend. And I thought, well, now, who wants to do evil to their friend? You know what you think it might say, does no evil to his enemy. It does no evil to his friend. Then I realized that who can you hurt the most? The ones that are closest to you. And you know, it seems like I find it easier to grumble and mutter in discontent toward those that I love the most and put up with more with those out there. I remember some years ago, I was always kind of walking around half-tired, and a psychologist came here by the name of Dr. Henry Brandt. Maybe some of you know him or heard of him. So I, I wanted to have a little talk with him. I told him of my symptoms and so on, and, and uh, after a little while listening to me, he said, well, I think that you are, are a resentful person. Well, I resented that remark. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He says, well, you are resentful of the men who work for you, work closer to you. Well, then I really resented that. What do you mean? I'd lay down my life for these men. No, he said, here, they, here comes one, and he's got this business he wants to take care of, and this one's got his business to take care of, and you're sitting there thinking, well, doesn't he know how busy I am? Why well, is he buzzing with this? Why don't he pressure with me with that? Then you go home and your wife got her things, it's her do list, and, I, I, you know, he started to get kind of home there. You know, that bottomless do list is always there. And the kids, they've got their little things. You, you're probably a very irritable father. And no wonder you walk around half-tired. Well, uh, one of the other problems of that interview was that he was right. To grumble or mutter in discontent against people not only does them no good, it does you no good. And so, James, in a very practical way, know how immensely practical this book has been, says, be patient. Do not grumble. Do not mutter in discontent. Do not recriminate people. And then in verse 12, he says, Be patient, but above all, my brethren, do not swear. Now, we tend to grumble or mutter discontent against people, and when circumstances frustrate us, a hammer hits our finger, or something falls down, or something breaks, or the wind blows the door, and it comes off, and frustration against circumstances, under our breath, we tend to swear. You're not me. Don't kid me. 
I know there are some real victorious people around. But have you had any good thorough frustrations recently? But I think that's what he's saying here. So be patient. Be patient, brother. Exercise self-restraint in the case of irritating people and the case of irritating circumstances. Well, he says, be patient until the coming of the Lord. I don't know if I can last that long, do you? We have a little saying sometimes in the summer when we have a lot of guests and through, through and we're always happy to see them. And uh, sometimes we wish we could spread it out over the year a little bit more. And uh, you can tend to get a little weary towards the end of the summer. So we have a little slogan, stay alive till September 5. <laughs> and then you've got it made. Well, I sometimes think if you can't be patient until the coming of the Lord, well, maybe September 5, and then you can set it for November 5, and then say, well, I'll make it till Christmas. And, but be patient. Be patient. And incidentally, Jesus is coming. You believe that? Yeah, I should say. That's our blessed hope. Jesus is coming. Wrongs will be righted. The sick will be whole. I tell you, you can feel a sermon coming on right there, can you? Be patient, therefore, brethren, and you too, sisters, until the coming of the Lord. Now then, that's the exhortation, be patient. Now the benefits of patience are explained here in this passage we read. There's the, then the benefits are fruitfulness and happiness. Fruitfulness in the lives of people, happiness in our circumstances. The first, fruitfulness in the lives of people, is 7b through 9. Because after he says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord, he says, Behold, the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. This is illustration now. Being patient over it, and until it receives the early and the late rain. Now what is the farmer waiting for? Fruit. A crop. Now, God wants to use us in the lives of people. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, as we have the blessed privilege of being used in the lives of others, the result is fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. Now, in order to be fruitful in the lives of people, you have to be patient. You have to endure. Someone was asking me, what do you think is one of the greatest key secrets to raising children? More and more, I'm thinking that it's to be willing to suffer. And a lot of times, people want to get the kids out of the house because they don't pay the price anymore. But who had them? Patience. So he's talking about truthfulness, the lives of people, whether it's our children, or people in our Sunday school class, or to whom we're trying to minister, be patient. I don't know if you ever read the book, Up the Down Staircase, by a New York school teacher. The idea is that uh, he's telling about all the frustrations of being a school teacher in the New York City school system and the problems with the kids and all the memos that kept coming down from the main office all the time, do this and do that and do the other. And one memo came with a complaint that a certain student should be reprimanded because he was going up 
the staircase that was reserved for only going down. So that's where the title of the book came from, Up the Down Staircase. And in it, there's a, uh, a chapter in which she has a letter that she's written to a friend of hers telling about all the heartaches and all the irritations and frustrations of trying to do something with these kids as a teacher. And then it, then in it she says, that it will be worth it all if I could make a permanent difference in just one life. Be worth it all if I could make a permanent difference in just one life. Now there's a great statement. That is what the navigators are supposed to be all about. That God might permit us to be used to make a permanent difference in another life for Jesus' sake and for God's glory. That's what I think he's talking about here in fruitfulness. But to be fruitful in the lives of people, you've got to be patient. And he particularly picks out two things here to point out to us. Verses 8 and 9. You also be patient. Establish your heart for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your heart. All the way through the letter, James is talking about people who are fickle, who are double-minded, who can't make up their mind. And my application here is along this line. To establish your heart means to become single-minded, to commit yourself to the job at hand, to the people at hand. I recall when I first went with the Billy Graham team, I was Doss Trotman's assistant in the Seattle, Washington Crusade. And we didn't seem to know beans when the bag was open about how to do anything. For instance, our office staff would work till two and three in the morning to get caught up. And you know, we just, it was quite a hassle. It was the first one that I had attended and I was away from home and I didn't know what the, the subsequent years were gonna mean as far as away from home. But somehow that I was restless and I wasn't, I knew I wasn't doing the job I ought to do and, and so on. So one evening during the meeting I sat out in the car and it suddenly dawned on me what was happening. I hadn't committed myself to that task at that time in that place. I wished I were home. And I find, don't you, that so much of life is spent that way. We're, we're here now, but we wish we were there. Or we can hardly wait till that happens. Or we wish it was still like it was over there. And we're never really living in the present, the here and now. Oh, I wish I had different people to whom to minister. I wish I had different contacts. I wish I lived in a different neighborhood. Instead of saying, Lord, I commit myself to you for where I am and these people now. You chose them for me. And I submit myself, I commit myself to you for this job where I live and where I work and in this neighborhood now. I think this is what it means by establish your heart. This is where God has put you. Now you may as well surrender to God to use you where you are because it's a certainty that he will not use you where you are not. So if you're going to be fruitful in the lives of people, maybe we need to stop and say, God, I thank you 
that you have given me the contact with and put me in the center of these people, even though up to now I wish they were other people. That may be a step that we need to take either now or when we get home. If you're going to be fruitful in the lives of those people. Because how can you be fruitful in their lives and grumble in your heart against them? Be a little resentful about them. It'll, it'll, it'll seep through, it'll show, won't it? So thank God for those people. And that's a very real thing. I, 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 know, I'm, I, I know the struggle there. Sometimes you feel like, oh, Lord, you know, I'm so, uh, Lord, I'm just so impatient. You know, these people are bugging me. I wish I'd get away so I could get along with you so I wouldn't be like this. <laughs> and you know what happens? I can tell you my problem is that when I'm with people, I kind of wish I was off there getting a little time with the Lord and quiet and so on. And then when I'm over there, I feel guilty because I think I ought to be out with those people and I'm never either place 100%. And I noticed something about Billy Graham. When he's with people, he's there 100%. But when he's gone, he's 100% gone too. You can't find him hiding the hair of him. But you know, I think of Jesus' life. When he was with people, he was there 100%. Then when he wanted to get away with God, then he went out in the wilderness somewhere. But it seems like a lot of us are not 100% anywhere we are. Establish your heart for those, those people that God has brought into your life. Thank you, Lord, for that. And then he says, do not grumble. Do not mutter in discontent. We learn in James chapter 1 that the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. But love does. Love does. So, to be fruitful with people, be patient. Establish your heart and don't grumble. Now then, what about happiness in your circumstances? Well, that's verses 10 through 12. As an example of suffering and patience, brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Well, other the prophets and Job. We had the illustration of the farmer, now we have the illustration of the circumstances in which the, prop in which the prophets found themselves and in which Job found himself. Now we talked the other night about the fact, I think it was the other night, here, somewhere. But if I've forgotten, maybe you have and it won't hurt to review it. That Job and, or rather God and Satan agreed together to make Job's soul a battleground was not only without his consent, but without his knowledge. Job did not have all the facts. He did not have all the pictures. And neither do we. Neither do we. The Bible says we know in part. We know in part. And yes, we did talk about that. And it's more important to know who you believe than just what you believe. Well, then he says now, to be happy in your circumstances, remember two things. To be happy and to be fruitful relative to people, remember two things now. To be happy in your circumstances, remember two things. First of all, the purpose of the Lord. Verse 11. 
Now, what is the purpose of the Lord? We learn in James chapter 1 that God allows trials to come in, or he uses trials to test our faith to what end? That it might produce steadfastness. And we said that steadfastness is what? Stable, consistent Christian character. God will use these circumstances to produce stable, consistent Christian character. That's the purpose of the Lord. Now, are you happy about that? It says in uh, Romans 12, 2, I forgot what it says in Romans 1, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, do you believe that the will of God is good, acceptable, and perfect? Or is the will of God tough and hard and difficult and grinding? Say, well, wasn't he talking about uh, trials all the way through here and suffering? Well, but it says here, you've got to remember the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. You mean the middle of all that? That's right. And I told you then perhaps in my most trying experiences in my life is when the time when I realized more clearly and, and in reality the mercy and the grace of God. And whatever happens to us, Lucy and I look back and we will, our testimony is, and, I, and if we will write it, maybe we should write it out in the will. Goodness and mercy has followed us all the days of our lives. Didn't look like a lot of times. Maybe not till we look back. But it did. It has. Now the purpose of the Lord is steadfast character, and in it he's compassionate and merciful. And this character is in short is to be like Christ. Man, I wish I could sing. I'd break I you know I'd break into song right now. You know what I'd sing? I'd sing, Be like Jesus. This my song. In the home and in the throne. Be like Jesus all day long. How does that, that go? Is that about it? Let's sing that song. Let's see. You know what? Be like Jesus, this my song. In the home and in the throne. Be like Jesus all day long. I That's the purpose of the Lord. Isn't it? That's what you remember. That's his purpose. To be like Jesus. And that's, that's terrific. I remember some years ago, I'd been listening to some talks here. Twelve rules for raising kids. I had another one, ten demandments of being a good Christian. Another one, fifteen principles of managing a business. And I remember I added all these up and there were fifty-some. And then I can't remember all these rules and I was walking across that road and I uh, threw a little path up to the office and I thought, oh, I'm weary trying to remember all these rules. And I, thought, and I began to sing to myself, just be like Jesus. That's all I want to be. Just be like Jesus. That, let's simplify life a little bit. Yeah. That's the purpose of the Lord. 
That's the purpose of the Lord. That's a great purpose. So remember that. And then do not swear. Don't explode into irreverent oaths, swear words, having to do with God, heaven, hell, or any other swear word, but a simple yes or no. Psalm 37, 8 says, uh, for, let's see, uh, about, uh, don't be angry, forsake wrath. The last part when I wanted, fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. And I looked up the word fret, and the idea is it's something eating on you. So he's saying, don't let anything eat on you. It only tends to evil. Do not swear. Instead, what do you do? Give thanks. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So, to be happy in your circumstances, be patient. Remember the purpose of the Lord to be like Jesus and uh, don't swear. Okay, verse 13. Is any among one among you suffering? Let him pray. Is any cheerful? Let him sing praise. Years ago, somebody said they developed a little method for prayer. Whenever they started a project during the day, they try to remember just to shoot up a word of prayer. And when the project was finished, a word of praise. So they had a little motto, pray at the start, praise at the finish. That's a good way to, to, to uh, sort of uh, put the parentheses or something on a day. Pray in the morning, praise at night. And uh, you know one of the best, and this is a little tossed in here on the side, uh, you know, somehow or other, it seems difficult for a man and wife, at least for Lucy and me, to find, to, to pray together. I mean, to actually do it. Maybe that's not true in your home, but somehow or other I can pray with the guys at the office or something, but I don't know what happens around home. It just doesn't, you know, to pray together as man and wife is a, it's sort of a struggle. But one of the most useful things that uh, we've ever come across is that about this matter of praying at night, I learned from someone that if you pray through the day and go through it backwards because you can think better going backwards if you try to think through the day you start when you gave up you got up and you go through this way maybe you gave up when you got up but if you go down through this way it's harder to think but if you take the last thing that happened then go and work your way back through the day your memory works so to pray through the day backwards pray for the last person you met and the one just before that and the one you did just before that and the project before that and so, uh, one of the most effective means I found, and I, I, I hope this is okay with the Lord, but uh, is to, with my wife, pray through the day, out loud, backwards. And I'll pray for this person, we'll thank, thank God for that event, and so on. So that prays through the day, and also gives, informs her of what happened during the day. That's the part I hope the Lord doesn't mind. Uh, but I found a very effective way, though, you pray at the start and praise at the finish. And it wouldn't take three to five minutes just to, you know, sort of pray and pray through the day. It's a great way to end the day. We don't do that every night, but we, we try to work at it anyway. Now, are people bugging you? Are circumstances frustrating you? Be patient. Pray. 
And without going into the rest of this section on prayer, and it would be great to do, let me close with this. This book in James ends where it started. He started with trials, and he says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. He's ending the book by saying, ask God, pray, pray. And I read that the early church had a nickname for James, who wrote this book, and his nickname was Camel Knees, Camel Knees. That he was so much on his knees in prayer that he developed calluses on his knees like a camel's knees. Well, I don't know how true that is, but I do know one thing. He had a lot to say about prayer. So let's be patient with people and let's, in our circumstances, and let's pray.